leading our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus. That's who we are. That's who we will continue to be and this morning as we address the state of the church and, and where we're at and, and where we're going. Um, we're going to be in the book of Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11 and go through verse 15 in just a moment. That text is going to declare to us um, where we're going and who we are called to be as first and foremost disciples um, and the church together. I'm going to share with you some numbers um, to start with this morning, and, and numbers are that. They are numbers, okay? Um, they are not the driving force. They are not the reason behind we do everything, but sometimes numbers tell us things that are worth celebrating, okay? Um, numbers are really the only way sometimes we have to measure things that are happening in the church, and so um, God has, is, God is the, the, um, driving force behind all of this. He is the one that has done it. It is not um, anyone else. This is all glory, all honor, and all praise goes to him first and foremost. But church, you have said yes to him over and over and over again this year. And he's done some incredible things. And so to start with this morning, I want to show you what God has done in 2023. Um, but we're going to compare it to 2022 because it's an incredible representation of what God has done. God is doing things right now in Oak Grove that he's never done before. And those are good days, church. And I'm excited to be your pastor in it um, and because of what he is doing, okay? So a couple of numbers we're going to throw up on the screen this morning. First of all, our, our budget for 2022 uh, needed for 2022 was this number, um, $578,732.87. That was what was needed. What was given in 2022 is $5,575,171.20. Great, by any standards, okay? We were a little um, shy of what our goal was, but great by any standards, okay? I we, we, we talked about that with stewardship on 2022. We talked about that with our staff is that uh, most churches found themselves in this position. And that's okay. We, we did not overspend, and so we were okay. God, God provided, God did, okay? That number is a representation of what God said. Hey, this is what Oak Grove, this is, this is what you need this year. And we said, okay, right? So 2023, we needed this number. $635,014.16. Like, man, that jumped. Well, yeah, that's the nature of budgets. They increase over time. You add staff, things like that. So, so we needed $635,014.16. In 2023, this is what God did. 658000 Come on, church! Where are you at this morning? $658,933.99. God said, Oh, Grove, that's what you need. Because he gave beyond what we could ask or imagine, didn't he? Because that's who he is when we choose to follow him, when we choose to be obedient. That's who God is. But, but, but not only that... <laughs> 
you gave for, I think, Lottie, is Lottie Moon next? Is that right, Matthew? Oh, The Rock's next. Okay, well, here you go. So, so you saw what was given over what was needed for our budget. But in, in, in addition to that, we presented a need for The Rock. And here's what was given for The Rock. No, 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 stop. You can't copy it. We needed 60000 and that's what God did. Church, again, over and abundant, what we could ask or imagine, because that's who God is. But then we have the Lottie Moon, which you've already heard. Lottie Moon, our goal was 20000 Total given was $24,934.94. <laughs> Again, over and abundant of what we asked or could imagine. Because again, that's who God is. And that has been the theme of 2023. God showed up and he showed off and he said, oh yeah, watch this. You think, but watch this. That's who he is, church. And these are numbers, but they're reflective of who our God is. He's faithful, and he's good, and he does immeasurably more than you and I can ask. And these are great numbers. And man, I, as a pastor, I am thrilled with these numbers. As a leader, I'm so excited for what God has done and how you have been obedient to him. But these next numbers are what really lights me up. So in I'm trying to keep it together, Donnie. In 2022, in 2022, um, uh, we're going to throw up our numbers for uh, membership and for baptisms. But in 2022, here's our new members. How many people joined the church in 2022? It's 32. Great. I was pumped about that. I'd been here uh, uh, almost a year. I was excited. We were, man, it was fun, fun. A year and a half I'd been here. 32 new members. In 2023... We added this, 52 new members. You can, I mean, y'all are killing me. Somebody, somebody else needs to get up here and say you can clap. 52 new members in 2023. That's 52 people who say, hey, we want to be a part of this family. Man, that's incredible, church. That's an incredible thing to happen. 52 people said, hey, we want to be a part of the Oak Grove family. But here's the, here's the best numbers. In 2022, we had six baptisms. In 2023, we had 19. That's, that's more than triple. In current statistics, in churches across the United States, that number six went down. That went down. Church, God is on the move. He is working, and he is doing something right here in our midst. For that number to triple, that, that, here's the thing. That's the most important number. You know why? Because that means 19 people in 2023 moved from death to life. That's the most important number. 
that that many people chose to say yes to Jesus. And that's what we're about here at Oak Grove Baptist Church, leading our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus. Because he's the driving factor. He is. And so I shared those numbers with you and said they're just numbers, but they're reflective of what God is doing. They're reflective of how big our God is, and then he does more than we can ever expect. But we have to walk with him. And as we walk with him and point and lead our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus, 19 people responded to that. So for you and I in 2024, what do we do? Well, we walk with Jesus. And as we do that, we point others to him. So that in 2024, it's not 19, but it's 60. Right? Right, church? It's not 19, but it's 60 because we've tripled again because God's going to do immeasurably more than we can ask for. So in Titus chapter 2, our aim is going to be simply this this morning. The grace of God given through Jesus brings salvation, transforming the way we live. The grace of God brings salvation through Jesus, and it transforms the way you and I live. In Titus chapter 2, um, Paul is writing this letter, and, and it's to the church, and, and, and that's huge. You've got to keep that in mind. He's writing to believers, and he's saying, hey, here's some things you need to understand. And he has given some instructions in the first part of chapter 2 to to older women and younger women and older men and younger men and he's given to slaves and masters he's given them instructions of how they live their life but in verse 11 he gets to this and and he's going to say this for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So, so let's just jump in here. Um, Paul's going to do something... Um, and we're going we're gonna to kind of tackle the passage backwards, okay? And part of the reason we're going to do that is because Paul gives the reason um, for why we do what we do first. And then he says, hey, do this, okay? So in verses 13 and 14 and 15, he's going to say, hey, or really 13 and 14, say, hey, this is the reason. And then in 11 and 12 and 15, he says, this is what you do, Okay? But I'll address verse 11 real quick so we're not confused as we move into this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Look, the grace of God is through Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> it is for all people. Okay? It is for all people. It is sufficient for all people, but it's only efficient for those who choose to follow him. Now, Paul is talking to the church here, okay? Those of us that have accepted, stepped into relationship with Jesus, 
salvation is there okay don't get this confused that salvation is just for that everybody gets saved and we're done that's not how theologically scripture works okay he's saying those who have stepped into relationship with jesus salvation is theirs you have to make a choice to step into relationship with him but look with me in verse 13 we'll come back to verse 11 but listen to verse 13 waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works paul says this he says hey we are looking to the day we are looking to the day when he appears again, when he comes back. That's our blessed hope that we're looking. But not only does he say that we're looking for that day, but he's saying this, is that, that who gave himself, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. The, the reason that you and I change the way we live and we allow the Holy Spirit to transform what we do and how we live is because of what Jesus has done to redeem us and claim us as his possession. And so here's how this works for you and I. Is that scripture tells us that when we step into relationship with Jesus, now we walk from a position, not to a position. Okay? We walk from a position. God says, this is who you are. Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. So you are redeemed. But he made you his own possession. You are his. And I think so many times in our life, and especially in our culture, we strive to be something. Right? Whether that's in our job, whether that's as a, a mom or a dad, maybe, maybe you're striving to be better than your parents were because your parents were not that great. Maybe you're striving to, 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 to reach some accolade in your field or your work, and you're, you're striving to get there, and everything you do is to get to this point. Or, or maybe, maybe you are, are going, man, you have no idea where I've come from, and I'm just trying not to be that. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. It's like the, all the things that I've experienced in life, I'm just trying not to be that, and I'm doing the best I can not to be that. And we're constantly striving for a position, to, to, to get and to gain a position. That's the world we live in, isn't it? Are you out there? Okay, good. That's the world we live in. That's kind of the American dream, isn't it? I can just arrive. But that, that's, that's the, the thing for us, most of us. But the gospel says, no. The gospel says, this is who you are. Before any other definition of you comes into play, before you are mom, before you are wife, before you were dad, before you were husband, before your grandma, grandpa, before whatever job you have titles you and defines you, when you step into relationship with Christ, Paul says you are redeemed. 
You are first and foremost, by definition, as a believer and a disciple of Jesus, you are redeemed and you are his. And from that position is in which you walk the rest of your life. And it changes everything, church. It changes the decisions you make with your finances. It changes the decisions you make with your kids. It changes how you respond to your spouse. You walk from this position and you get up every single morning and you say, I am redeemed and I am his and he is worthy of it all. And I walk from this position, not to some position. That's who he says you are. He proclaims that over you the day you step into relationship with him. And so Paul says that in the second half of this passage and says, hey, this is who you are. And this then is what motivates what you do. I think sometimes we kind of mess that up, don't we? Like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, but, but my job motivates what I do, right? Or me being a parent motivates what I do, right? And, and no, scratch all that. I know it's hard. Scratch all that out of your brain. What motivates you to live your life is your position in Christ. That's what it is. This is who I am, and now I'm going to live my life according to who I am here. My identity is in Christ. Part of the reason we have so many issues with people finding their identities in our culture today is because they're not starting at the source. Our identity, first and foremost, should be, is always meant to be, in Christ. And then that shapes everything else. Then Paul says this in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In the present age. Now, here's the interesting thing. He uses this word um, specifically for the Greeks and for the Hebrews is that they would have understood this language in the present age, meaning now. Like he's going to say, we're, we're, we're grasping to the hope that is coming, but, but we have to live here now, don't we? Yeah, we have to live in this world now. And so here's the deal. This is what you're called to do. Because of your position in Christ, you are then called to live, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You're called to do that. You're like, Brady, how do I do that? Well, we have to understand how salvation works. I think we miss sometimes this, this doctrine of salvation and understanding this because it, it, then when we, when we grasp a hold of it and we get it, then what happens is we live our lives differently. Right? We, we live our lives differently when we understand the doctrine of salvation. So we're going to walk through that this morning. Okay, we're going to give you some big theological terms and it's okay. Don't be scared of them. Right? Listen, here's how salvation works. Is that it's past, present, and future. Okay? There's, there's, some, there's, a, there's a, a past of it that, that Christ died on the cross, and here's what happened in that moment. There's a moment where you come to know Christ, and, 
And in that moment, you are saved and it continues to working out. And then there's a day coming, hallelujah, that we get to be present with him forever. Okay? And, and so as we walk through this, we need to understand what happens here. Okay? The first thing is this, is that we are delivered from sin's penalty. So what Paul's talking about when he says, hey, we are going to renounce ungodliness and we're going to walk in this way is that we are, we are delivered from sin's penalty. It's this big word we call justification, that you are justified from the penalty of sin. Scripture's very clear when it says that you and I and our sin deserve a penalty, deserve a punishment. We messed up and we deserve that punishment. But Christ dying on the cross, once and for all, takes that punishment for you. And so there's this, when we step in a relationship with Christ, there's this justification that happens because God is a righteous judge. He looks at us now through Jesus who paid the penalty for us, and he says, no longer, no longer, Jimmy, are you under sin's penalty. It is taken from you. That was done on the cross with Jesus. It's past. Number two is this, is that we are delivered from sin's power. Mm. Come on, church. We're delivered from sin's power. This is a, a, a theological term we call sanctification. That in the moment that we, we choose to to step in a relationship with Christ and we admit to him that we are a sinner and we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we confess him as the Lord of our life, the Bible tells us that we are then sanctified. We are made new and no longer does sin have any type of power on us. There will no be no more penalty, justification, right? But no longer does it have power on us. But man... What's scary is that a lot of Christians still live their lives as if that doctrine doesn't exist. But it does. When you choose to step in a relationship with Christ, it is taken away. That sin has no more power on your life. That Brady, man, you don't understand my life. You're right, I don't. But that doesn't mean I don't have my own things that I struggle with. We all do. But every single day, I have to look in the mirror at my own self and say, you are his. You are redeemed. And the position in which I walk for is first and foremost, I am his. And sin no longer has power over me. And so when I'm tempted, I go, God, I need your help. When I'm struggling, I pick up the phone and, hey, I need you to pray for me right now is that I battle that knowing that sin doesn't have power over me because Christ has beat it. It's done. That's the present. That's what happens every single day for you and me. This sin no longer has power over you. But then there's a third thing, is that we are delivered from sin's presence. This is glorification. Is that there's coming a day when Christ returns and he's going to take me home with him there may be coming a day that, that he just takes me home before he comes back but scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ so there's coming a day either way and, and in that moment all my salvation is 
wrapped up and put a bow on and said, he is mine forever. And I'm removed from the presence of this world that's sin infested. And I'm with him because sin cannot be present before a holy God. And so when Paul says in this text that for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, here's what happens. Is that when we understand the doctrine of salvation, then we can go, oh, now I know that I can renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And I know I can live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age because now I understand that sin it has no power on me. That sin, I'm delivered from its penalty. That sin, there's a day coming that I'll be removed from its presence. And now I go, okay, because of the position that he has given me, and I walk from that position, I can walk into this self-controlled life. I can walk into this godly life. I can walk in this life knowing sin has no power on me because of what he did on the cross. That's how we walk into 2024, church. That's how we walk in and continue to lead our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus. And that we get to climb in that baptistry more than 60 times. Because he is able to do immeasurably more than you and I can ask. We just have to get up every single day and look in the mirror and declare over the enemy, I am justified. I am sanctified. One day I will be glorified, but I am his. And I choose this day, this moment, to walk with him hand in hand. Let's do that in 2024, church. And we will see what a mighty God he is and what he will do to use you and me to lead our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, you were good, you were kind, and um, you were gracious to us. And Father, we're, we're, we're grateful for your grace, God, that, that is as greater than all of our sin. Father, your grace that changes everything for us. Your grace that not a single person deserves. But because of your steadfast love for your people, you provided a way through your son, Jesus. Father, we give you all the glory and honor for what you did in 2023. Father, we ask that 2024, you just continue to do things bigger than we could ever imagine because that's who you are. Father, may we be found faithful in walking with you. It is in your mighty and precious name we pray. Amen.